But today we're looking at um, the last of the five functions of the church that we see on display in uh, Acts chapter 2, those being worship, discipleship, evangelism, ministry, and now fellowship. We see in Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 42 or 43, that the church were, uh, as they began to gather for the first time in Christian history, were devoted to the fellowship, Luke tells us. That word fellowship appears several times throughout Scripture and, uh, and in the New Testament especially. It occurs some four or five times in the book of Philippians, this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. Uh, it's a word that, uh, that sometimes loses its meaning. Perhaps you remember uh, back in the late 80s, uh, a movie that was released, the, one, of, one of only a few movies that I can actually go back and watch again and again and again. I'm not the kind of person who uh, likes to read books more than once or watch movies more than once. That's just not my thing. But this movie I can watch time and time again. It's the movie The Princess Bride, a movie based on a book. Yeah, okay, good. It got a reaction in the first service. Some people said, amen, or yeah, that's awesome. So good, you know the movie. It's a movie that's got everything. It's got comedy. It's got action. It's got adventure. It's got romance. It's got horror. It's got it all. It's kind of a campy sort of movie, um, but you can watch it with the whole family, even with all of those things um, in it. In The Princess Bride, there's a band of three sort of uh, criminals. You have Vizzini, the genius Sicilian, Inigo Montoya, the uh, Spanish swordsman, and then you have uh, Fezzik, who is the gentle giant. Uh, Vizzini, that, that genius Sicilian, that uh, wicked, evil mastermind, uh, often says at several points throughout the film, when something surprises him, this one word, you know what it is, inconceivable. That's good. Some of you said it with me. Inconceivable. Anytime he's surprised by something, he says this word. Such to the point that at one point he says that, and Inigo Montoya turns to him and says, you keep saying that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. It is possible to use a word for a word to be a part of our vocabulary and to be used in such a way that it loses all of its actual meaning or to use a word completely inappropriately. Sometimes that word fellowship is a word that loses its meaning in the context of the local church. We have lots of different kinds of fellowship, don't we? Potluck fellowships, pie fellowships, prayer fellowships, men's fellowships, women's fellowships. And what's usually the common denominator among all these fellowships? Food, right? Surely fellowship does not, cannot just mean and food. Right? Surely when the disciples in Acts 2 were devoting themselves to the fellowship, they weren't just devoting themselves to food. Fellowship might not mean what you think it means. One Christian said, if you have coffee with a non-believer, you're just having coffee. But if you're having coffee with a Christian, you're having fellowship. The word fellowship that, that we translate fellowship is a word uh, is a word in Greek which uh, the the Greek word is koinonia. That's the word that Paul would have used, that Peter would have used. Koinonia. You may have heard this word before. It means common share, common participation. It means partnership in something. In the New Testament, this word koinonia most often means something like that: a common share, a partnership in something. Christian scholar D.A. Carson says the heart of true fellowship, the heart of true koinonia is self-sacrificing conformity to shared vision. Self-sacrificing conformity to shared vision. In this way, koinonia, even like marriage, is not a transactional thing. It's not a 50-50 kind of relationship. 
a marriage that is 50-50 is not a very strong marriage at all because it only takes one partner not living up to their 50% for the whole thing to fall apart. In the Christian view of marriage, every marriage between a man and a woman is 100%-100%. Each individual giving their whole, their all, to the sake or for the sake of that relationship. And so if the other does not give 100%, that does not you know, somehow uh, keep me from having to fulfill my part of that covenant. Well, so it is also with koinonia, with fellowship in the church. Every partner, every Christian, every church member giving 100% toward the, the, the common goal because of the common bond in something that is greater than any individual among them. In the church, the common bond of our partnership, of our koinonia, of our fellowship, is Christ Jesus and the glorious news of the gospel. This is the hitching post of our partnership, of our fellowship together. And it is this hitching post, it's this common mooring, it is this relational glue of Christ and the gospel that has brought Paul and the Philippians together. You can read about Paul's first trip to Philippi as he shared the gospel there and brought a woman named Lydia who was a, uh, a dealer in purple cloth, brought her to faith in Christ, and then to see the church begin to grow as it met in her home. As we look at Paul's letter to the Philippians, as he's in jail for the gospel writing this, what I want for us to see, the main idea that I want for us to glean from this text this morning, is that God is glorified in the active partnership, the active fellowship, the koinonia of Christians in the gospel. God is glorified. His fame and splendor are known as he is manifestly present in the partnership of Christians in the gospel. So let's turn our attention to Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Will you stand with me in honor of God as we read his word? The Apostle Paul, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes to his friends, the Philippians. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership, that word koinonia, fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. May God edify us by his word this morning. You may be seated. God is glorified in the active partnership of Christians in the gospel. We see three, at least three different implications of gospel fellowship, of koinonia, of gospel partnership in these verses that Paul begins his letter to the Philippians with. The first is this, gospel fellowship, gospel koinonia inspires gratitude. It inspires gratitude. Look how Paul uh, sort of begins these verses in verse three. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. What is Paul grateful for? Obviously, he is grateful. He's thanking God and all of his remembrance of him. What is he grateful for? He's grateful for the Philippians. He's grateful for people. 
He's grateful for brothers and sisters who by faith have come to know Christ and have joined him in the work of the gospel. He's thankful for the Philippians. He's thankful to God. He's not thankful to them for them. He's thankful to God for them, right? Because God is the giver of all good gifts. God is the one who is sovereignly in control of every aspect of our lives, the one that is leading us together. He's the one that draws us together. It's his gospel that unites the Philippians and Paul together. He thanks God for the Philippians because God is the giver of all good gifts. And in that, he prays, uh, uh, he prays a prayer of thankfulness for the work that God continues to do in their lives. God is the one who has sent Jesus, his son. God is the one who is the author and finisher of our faith through the gospel. God is the one who gives us salvation. God is the one who supplies us with partners in faith. God is the one who gives full sanctification to his people. As they live in Christ's likeness, verse 6 says, I'm sure of this, that he, that God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. All of this from a heart of gratitude. All of this from a, a, a heart of thankfulness to God for people, brothers and sisters, partners in the gospel. Amen. Dear friends, our gratitude to God for gospel partners, when we express our thanks to God, for brothers and sisters, co-laborers in the gospel. That glorifies God for his gift of fellow workers. It is glorifying to God to say thank you for fellow workers. And perhaps you find yourself in church this morning and you find it difficult to feel the sort of gratitude for the brothers and sisters that are members of the church with you. Could it be that your gratitude is somewhat lacking because you've not actually given yourself to being partnered with others in the gospel? Could it be possible that your appreciation for the church, for the fellowship, for the partnership that takes place uh, here, that exists here, is somehow lacking because you've not actually seen yourself as a partner in anything? Might it be that your hitching post, your point of commonality with the church is something other than or less than Jesus? If so, it will be hard to have this kind of gratitude for others. But certainly, the flip side is true also. If your common uh, hitching post, if the mooring point of your membership in this church is Jesus Christ and the sake of the gospel, then it is not difficult at all to be grateful and to give God thanks and praise for the partners, the brothers and sisters that he has given to us to get the work, the divine work of the Great Commission done. Gospel fellowship inspires gratitude in ways that pie fellowships can't gospel fellowship secondly deepens affection it deepens affection look at verses seven and eight paul says it is right for me to feel this way about you all to be so grateful for you because i hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel for god is my witness how i yearn for you with all the affection of christ jesus it is right paul says in verse 7 i am justified in feeling this way in being grateful it is right for me to have this deep affection for you because you all he's saying to the philippians are partakers in grace with me 
That word partaker uh, shares a common root with the word koinonia, which means you are sharing with me in God's grace, in relationship with God, in the, in the truth and the hope of the gospel. We're sharing in this together in two different ways. One, in Paul's imprisonment. Paul was likely in chains at this time uh, under Roman guard because of a sharing of the gospel. And uh, unlike today, where usually uh, your tax dollars go to pay for those who are being incarcerated in state or municipal uh, incarceration places, uh, that was not so in Roman days. If you were in prison, you would exist, you would sustain yourself on your own dime. So you had to pay for your own food, you had to provide your own clothing, none of that was given to you. So the Philippians, knowing that Paul is in jail, were sending him financial support, maybe some other physical uh, things as well that would be to his care. So in that way, they are partnering with him. But also, Paul says that they're partnering with him in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. On the one hand, this certainly means that they are his partners, his co-laborers, as they're praying for his work, as he declares the gospel everywhere that he goes, as he plants and starts churches and establishes and, and puts into place you know, pastors and elders in those churches. But also, the Philippians are partnered with Paul, not just through prayer and provision, but also in their own active defense and confirmation of the gospel in Philippi. The Philippians were being busy with the gospel. The Philippians were declaring the hope that is in Christ to those in Philippi who didn't know Jesus yet. The Philippians continued to confirm the gospel in the weekly gathering of their church body together and in the work that they did in their city. Paul says it is right to feel this way about you, to be grateful for you because of our closeness together, our closeness which brings to him, he he says, in verse 8, uh, that he yearns for them with all the affection of Christ Jesus. It's a, Paul is kind of like saying this, I love you, Philippians, and I'm so grateful for you with a kind of gut-wrenching love that only God can really understand. When I think about you, I am so moved, I can't even put words to it. The only thing that I can say is that my, my stomach churns with love for you because I know that we're all giving ourselves for the same purpose, for the glory of God and the expanse of the gospel. This kind of love, this kind of affection that Paul has with the Philippians is kind of like the affection that we see between combat veterans that have served together. Those who saw the unimaginable, who defended the same hill, who fought back against the same enemy, who don't have to say anything to know just how the other feels and yet can't quite put into words the bond that they have. So much is true and more when the ground of our fellowship, our gospel partnership is Jesus Christ, like it was between Paul and the Philippians. This kind of bond that can't be broken, this kind of bond that is forged in the trenches of gospel ministry, when we partner together, see one another as co-laborers for the sake of Christ and the good news of Jesus going out into the world, it forges, it forms deep affection between us and our fellow partners. That affection leads us to care for others in physical ways and to care and just to care for others in our heart, right? To hold them in our hearts with care. And so we see that our sincere care for our gospel partners glorifies God as the source of our partnership. When we love each other for Christ's sake, when we care for each other and have affection for each other for Christ's sake, God is glorified as the source of our partnership. God is glorified as the glue that holds us together. God is glorified as that common hitching post that we have all attached our lives to. 
partnering in the gospel is something that transcends our preferences. It transcends our social status. It transcends our skin color and ethnicity. It transcends our national backgrounds and, and, and home countries of citizenship. Because partnership in the gospel is rooted and grounded in the God who created all of these things and whose plan in Christ is to redeem all of these things and make it new. Are your, is your affection for your Christian brothers and sisters, your church family, is your affection somehow less than what Paul has for the Philippians? Is your affection for your brothers and sisters in Christ, your partners in ministry, for the fellowship that is here, is it somehow more shallow maybe than what Paul has for the Philippians? How might you know if this is the case? How might you know if your affection for your partners in the gospel is somehow less somehow more shallow than what Paul has for this church. Do this. Just now in your mind, think about the relationships you have with people in the church. Maybe people in your Bible study group, uh, folks that you just share life with, people that you're discipling. Consider the straw that would break the camel's back of that relationship, of that partnership. What would it take for you and other people in the church to, to disassociate from each other, to dissolve that partnership in the gospel. If the straw that breaks the camel's back of your relationship with other people in the church is anything less or other than the truth of Jesus Christ and his mission for the church, your affection will be lacking. If, if all of your thoughts of partnership in the gospel, in the church, hinge upon not being offended by somebody else. Your affections for that partnership are shallow. Right? If, your, if your partnership hinges upon people only wearing certain clothes in worship or looking a certain way or showing up at a certain time, or if our affections are, are for the programs of our church more than for the gospel of Jesus, then our affections will always be lacking. But genuine gospel fellowship, real partnership in Jesus Christ and the message, the good news that he saves sinners by his death and resurrection, that is a kind of bond that can never be broken unless someone walks away from the faith entirely. My prayer is that our bonds would be stronger as partners in the gospel because we, we would say that everything else pales in comparison. Everything else can be worked through. Everything else can be resolved, can be reconciled, can be forgiven if Christ is the thing that we're all committed to. So how do you overcome shallow affections for your partners in, in ministry, for your partners in the gospel? How do you overcome this and have a more God-glorifying affection for those that you are united to in faith and as members of our church? You do this. You get in the trenches of gospel ministry together. You dig in. You do the dirty work. You take a hill together. You share the gospel together with someone who needs to hear it. You walk through life together in God's word, confronting uh, sin in each other's lives and responding with repentance and continued faith in Jesus. You do the hard work of being real with each other and doing real work for the gospel to forge these deep bonds. Get in the game. You make a block. Catch a pass. Do something more than simply sitting as an armchair quarterback watching what other people are doing and talking about how poorly they're doing it. 
Forge deep and glorious bonds in the gospel together by doing gospel ministry together. Do you want for your gut, for your stomach to do cartwheels within you as you think about how much you love those that you are serving Christ with? Then get in the trenches together. Get to work. Share the gospel. Certainly this was what Paul and the Philippians were doing together there in Philippi. Digging in, making a stand, proclaiming Christ and Him crucified in hard places. And the result of it was this deep, deep bond of affection between them that only God could bring about. Gospel fellowship deepens our affections and it glorifies God when we feel deeply, care deeply for one another. Third, we see in verses 9 through 11 that gospel fellowship, gospel partnership, koinonia, shapes expectations. When we partner in the gospel this way, it shapes our expectations for each other. Listen to what Paul says. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What does Paul want for his partners in Philippi? He wants more love He wants more knowledge. He wants more discernment. Why? So, as he says, that they might approve what is excellent. Paul's desire for his gospel partners is that they would have no doubts and no qualms about the truth of the gospel that they are defending and sharing together, that they would be able to spot truth and error, to notice righteousness and wickedness, that their lives would abound in holiness and Christ-likeness because of this because of their growth in love, knowledge, and discernment. And he wants them to grow in these ways so that they might be better prepared to meet Jesus face to face. He wants all of this so you may be so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus. Here's this uh, wonderful mystery on display for us that likeness to Christ, Christ likeness as we grow in it, as we grow in conformity to Jesus, we also grow in our preparedness to meet Jesus. The more we are like Christ in our thoughts, in our affections, in our actions, the more ready we are to greet him when he comes. And this is Paul's prayer for the Philippians. This is his expectation for them. I want you to be ready to meet your Savior. And so, in order to be ready for that, I'm praying that love and knowledge and discernment would abound in you so that you would be all the more ready to meet him face to face. All of this, Paul says, his expectation, his Christ-like expectation, Christward expectation for, his peop- for, for the people at Philippi, all results in praise and glory to God. That you be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of and praise of God. What shines the splendor and majesty and beauty of God as He is present in His church more than Christ-likeness and preparedness to meet Jesus? Nothing. In all of this, we see that our Christ-word expectation for our gospel partners is, I expect growth in Christ-likeness for you, and you expect growth in Christ-likeness for me, and we do so for each other. All of this results in God's glory in our lives. And so we should want nothing less than this. These final verses in our text this morning expose us. They expose what we really want for ourselves and for others in Christ. 
do we really want as partners in the gospel for each other? More love, more knowledge, more discernment, so that we'll be more Christ-like and more ready to meet Jesus when he returns? Or do we simply want health and happiness and earthly joy? My dear partners in the gospel, brothers and sisters at First West, I want what Paul wants for the Philippians for us. I will not be content with mere friendliness and politeness as a church. I want true Christian love to reign among us. I will not be content with easy answers to simple questions of faith. I want deep and abiding knowledge of Christ and an intimate grasp of His Word for each of us. I will not be content with a church of merely well-behaved Christians. I want us to be I want for us sincere holiness, gritty sanctification, deep compassion, rugged maturity, unashamed and bold faith, so that we will all be as ready as possible to see Jesus face to face. And I expect all of us to push and to pull each other toward this end, toward this goal as partners in the gospel. And I expect that the majesty of our Savior and Creator will explode with all the brightness of the sun at at midday in our little band of gospel brothers and sisters, in our koinonia, in this fellowship, in this self-sacrificing conformity to the vision we have for each other and for the world of getting the gospel to the nations. Gospel fellowship inspires gratitude, deepens our affections, shapes our expectations. It means something very different than just food also. Friend, if you're here this morning, if you're watching online, and you're not a Christian, you're not one who's following Jesus, it's important for you to understand that fellowship is right at the heart of what it means to be, Christ- to be a Christian. Not just fellowship with other people, not just, just commonality with other Christians, but most wonderfully, fellowship with God, a common bond with God, to be united to Him. Fellowship is what it is to be united to God through His Son, Jesus. And the good news of the gospel is that you may have this common bond with your Creator, with your Savior, today, by believing that Jesus is God's Son, who lived a life without sin, with perfect fellowship with God the Father. Only He could do this because only He is God in human flesh. And by believing that he died for your sins to pay a debt that you could not afford, a debt of sin against God who made you in his image to know, love, and worship him, Jesus who rose from the dead, placing your faith and your trust in him, giving your whole life over to his control, you can have fellowship with God today. And that relationship of fellowship with God begins by you just simply in your own words, in your own heart, expressing your sorrow to God for your sin. Admitting to Him that you are in need of a Savior. Affirming to Him your trust in Jesus, His Son, the risen Lord of your life, who gave Himself for you and lives now and reigns at the right hand of the Father and committing yourself to God, or to Jesus, even today. You can enter into that fellowship with Him just now. Church family, there is no bond and there's no goal that is better, there is more durable, 
that is more transformative, that is more worthy of pursuing, nor more glorious in all the universe than the person and kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so I ask you, dear church, will you partner with me in this for the glory of God? If that is to be the case, certainly we cannot partner in this way in our own efforts. We need help from the Lord to do this. So may our prayer this morning be this one, a prayer of divine support. Pray with me.